Welcome to Startup Cornell, a podcast exploring the bold entrepreneurial ideas coming from our students, faculty, staff, and young alumni. I'm Kathy Hovis, your host, and today we're going to talk with Nick Nikitas, who received an MBA from Cornell in 2014 and is the founder and CEO of Rosie. We know you're going to love hearing his story. To find out more about entrepreneurship at Cornell and see the show notes from this episode, visit eship.cornell.edu. Welcome, Nick. Thanks, Kathy. It's great to be here. We are so glad you're with us. So we wanted to start with you just telling us a little bit about your company, maybe giving us the 30-second elevator pitch about, about Rosie. Sure. My pleasure. Rosie is the most trusted, locally-focused e-commerce company. We partner with leading local grocers and their wholesalers to provide customers with same-day delivery or in-store pickup options, helping shoppers discover products from local stores. We launched in 2013, and our company is built around the idea that everyone should be able to shop online from their favorite local stores. It's this audacious, incredibly rewarding mission that our increasingly diverse team is dedicated to achieving alongside our brick-and-mortar retail partners and the communities they serve. Earlier this year, in January 2021, we raised our $10 million Series A financing to aggressively expand our model across the United States. Our team's growing quickly, and we're so, so excited about all the opportunities ahead. Congratulations. That is such amazing news about your funding at the beginning of the year. Thanks. So I think what's really interesting about your business is that you had this idea for grocery pickup and ordering online before we all got stuck with doing that through COVID anyway. And so what advantages do you think, or you know, how did you get this idea and what advantages because you guys were in it early, did you have? Yeah, so the whole concept started, I had been working in financial services prior to coming up to Cornell to get my MBA. And I had seen during the financial crisis how data was becoming very, very valuable. These large banks and financial institutions Data used to be like a waste byproduct. It was used for accounting, regulatory, and compliance. And we're seeing how data was starting to transform businesses. And then somebody had showed me Netflix, and it was the first time I'd seen it and seen data being used to solve problems for everyday people, right? When you log on to Netflix, you see your movie selection customized and curated just for you. So I knew I wanted to work in a business that had lots of data that could solve a problem for consumers. I moved up to Cornell. And I had started my MBA at Johnson and I was grinding through the core curriculum. I came home from class one day and I opened the fridge and nothing was inside except for, I think, mustard and a can of beer. And I was like, this is crazy. I I grew up in a Greek Italian household. I've never seen an empty fridge in my life. I'm like, why am I running out of food all of a sudden? Well, when I lived in the city, I used to order online from Fresh Direct all the time. And it's this magical service. You order online, it comes to your door. You don't have to go in the grocery store. I thought it was great. I started looking for online grocery options in Ithaca, and there wasn't anything. And so I went to the local PNC Fresh right down the street from Cornell. And I got a meeting with the manager and asked, you know, why aren't you doing online shopping? And he said, look, everything out there is way too expensive. We don't really have a team inside that knows anything about e-commerce. And even if we did, we wouldn't know the first thing about operating it. Take a look around. Everybody in here is a high schooler with a nose ring. They don't necessarily know how to run an e-commerce program. And so that kind of catalyzed. Grocery stores have massive amounts of data. They're not necessarily using it to solve consumer problems. And this was a space that I had a lot of passion about. Wow, that's great. And so when you came to Cornell for your MBA, did you know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Like, did you know, I'm just, I'm coming here because I want to found my own company. There's no question. I don't want to go back to working. Absolutely. I, I, had, I came to get my MBA and I was going to launch a business as part of that process. 
did you ever think, what is it, do you think it is about yourself that makes you an entrepreneur versus someone who is working for somebody else for the rest of their life? Why is that something that appeals to you? Yeah. So I think I've always been a bit of a hacker and a hustler. Like I've always been building things ever since I was a kid, whether it was Legos, Connects, Capsella, then it was computers, robots, cars. I always like building stuff. I think it's so fun to take things apart and put them back together. And then I also, I love to hustle. I love to sell. I was always doing lemonade stands when I was a kid or, or franchising them so I could bring my friends and they could help run more lemonade stands around town. I like presenting. I like pitching. I like being in front of clients and investors. And I, I think in every single stage growing up, I was always the hype man for my club, for my group. I was class president. So all of those were opportunities. And when I was looking at what I wanted to do with my career, I was looking for opportunities that were the intersection of those two roles where you get to build stuff and you get to sell stuff. And entrepreneurs get to do that. And they get to do that in a changing dynamic environment every single day of every single week. So I think that I've always kind of wanted to head into being an entrepreneur, but I didn't necessarily know, I didn't have an idea when I was starting out what I was going to do. So I thought the next best thing, instead of founding a company, if I didn't know what that business would be, would go to work for a founder who had another business. And that's what I did. I, I basically apprenticed working in a startup for another founder for about four and a half years. And he taught me everything I needed to know about how to take that company from an early concept and idea to an actual business. And so I took all that experience and that ultimately led me back to Cornell to, to launch my company. So are there certain things that happened to you when you were at Cornell or had experiences here that you think helped you as an entrepreneur, either classes or people you met or mentors or clubs or anything that was helpful as an entrepreneur? Yes. First off, Johnson provided a ton of support. I mean, it was awesome in terms of the scholarships like the Weill Fellowship and the Freed Fellowship that provided financial support to entrepreneurs that were founding their businesses. I love taking uh, Zach Shulman's Startup Ventures class, just helped me build a vocabulary and understanding about what venture capitalists were looking for and how to understand to engage with them. I met incredible mentors like Ken Rother, Tom Scriver, Brad Treat, and many, many others. I'd say eLab was, was super instrumental. I mean, we got into eLab early on and we used that program to the maximum effect. And we were introduced to lots of great mentors, resources, and just the whole playbook of customer development, how to, how to test an idea. Uh, we were one of the first companies that actually, we were in like the beta of eHub. Uh, Rosie at the time was 20 to 30 nomads roaming around campus. There wasn't a place that you could actually build your company at the time. And so with the support of student agencies, and we really couldn't have gotten to where we were without student agency support, they let us hang out in the place that is now eHub to build our business. So we were able to work there uh, rent-free. And then ultimately, we kind of surfed this growing entrepreneurial tide this wave that had been forming. And then after we graduated, we rolled right down the hill to Rev. And Rev was that early office space that allowed us to stay connected to Cornell and our Cornell mentors, but also give us kind of the next stage of the journey as we continue to develop the concept. So I would say that Johnson, eLab, student agencies, eHub, uh, and Rev were all truly instrumental in our success and growth. And it's great that you were able to stay in Ithaca because I think that, you know, a lot of companies would think, oh, I've got to be in a bigger city or I've got to be in a warmer city or something. But what about Ithaca made it a place that you felt like you could, your company was, you know, okay to grow here? Ithaca is awesome. Ithaca is an awesome place to live and work. A quality of life is amazing. Our team is able to afford houses, to have a great, great access to nature, to the lakes, to the wineries, to the cideries. There's so much culture and interesting stuff going on in Ithaca. 
Also, Cornell was such a huge ally in our development that we thought we didn't want to lose that connection. And it was clear that there was a, an increasing investment by Cornell and its alumni in entrepreneurship. And this was something interesting was going on here that we wanted to stay connected and engaged to. Cornell is also an incredible talent pipeline. There's so many students here that want excellent internships or long-term job opportunities. And so we've had some of our greatest contributors come through the Cornell talent pipeline. But overall, it's just Ithaca is a beautiful place and it's been a wonder to work. And also, I think we've been able to connect with a lot of local businesses since we've become part of the overall community. And I think now I see Rosie as not just a Cornell company, but really an Ithaca company. And that says a lot about the other businesses and entrepreneurs in this area that have welcomed us to that larger business ecosystem. So I think that a lot of people are curious, like, how do you grow this company from just a few people to now, you know, tens of people? and you know, get a, a giant investment at the beginning of the year. So what are some of the things that you, as an entrepreneur, how do you get people to, I think there's a lot of questions, like how do you get people to do what you want them to do? How do you, how do you motivate your employees to follow the mission that you have for the company? Sure. So, I mean, like, look, we've gone from two people to now over 75, and we went from serving just one grocery store in Ithaca to now serving hundreds of retailers representing thousands of stores in over 48 states. And I think that the way that you motivate the best people is by giving them a really big wrong that needs to be righted in the world. And then you just bring tons of enthusiasm because people are only going to be as excited about the mission or vision as you are, right? So you kind of set that tone. The disposition of the team is, is directly related to the disposition of the leadership. And so the wrong that we're writing in the world is we think that any local retailer should be able to compete on a level playing field with national chains and online marketplaces. We think that these small stores bring a lot of vibrancy to our communities, and we don't want to lose that. Look, some people are going to shop from Amazon. Some people are going to shop from Walmart, but there's a lot of people who want to shop local. They just want it to be as easy to shop from their favorite local store as any other e-commerce giant. And so that's what we're trying to, to set right in the world. And But the way that we go out and make that change in the world is by delivering delight to our team, to our customers, and to our investors. So bringing that energy enthusiasm, I think, is so key in motivating any group of people. I mean, if I was on this podcast with you, Kathy, and I was like, well, you know, Rosie is kind of a, an interesting startup and we're really doing good stuff. I mean, that's not what gets people engaged and excited. You got to really draw people in with your energy and your enthusiasm. Yeah, you have no lack of energy and enthusiasm, Nick. No one would ever accuse you of that. That is for sure. You know, on that tone, are there some habits that you think you as a person have that help you to maintain that energy and enthusiasm and to just grow your company to, you know, make your days productive and efficient? And what are some of the habits that you as a person have that you feel are really important or that help you as an entrepreneur? Yeah. So a few things that I do is I like to, when I'm meeting with people, I like to change it up. I don't like to do my meetings in a room. I like to, if, I, if I'm in person, I like to do walk and talks. When I'm doing team meetings, I like to make sure that there's food around because I think it's impossible for people to be sad or disappointed when there's food on the table and it helps them open things up. I like to hike and go on hikes with my team when I'm doing brainstorming or kind of thinking about what the next phase of the business is, I like to do it on a ski mountain or by a lake or by a big body of water. I think that changing the scenery changes the results. That is a big thing that I try to do when I'm engaging with my team. Another thing is that people play better when they know the score. If you look at the commonality between all sports, 
every single sport has a scoreboard and a business needs to have a scoreboard too. What gets measured gets improved. And if your team doesn't know the score, then they're on their way to losing. And so we measure everything. Everything that counts gets measured. And we make sure that everyone in the business, top to bottom, sideways, knows what the score of the game is in any week, month, quarter, year. So measuring, I think, is a big part that we drive through the organization. I'd say the other thing that I try to do a lot is be very purposeful about culture and work-life balance. Work-life balance is not the thing that you think about after you've finished your job. You have to be thinking about it during the day, building time for yourself to reset, to relax, to context switch, building time in your weekends for your hobbies. You know, I ask people in interviews, what's the most interesting place you've ever traveled? Because people who travel other places not only gain empathy for other cultures and gain an understanding of what else is going on there, but also evidences a desire and a curiosity to explore. And also that that person is able to build the time in their work schedule to go and do those things. And so I think that being purposeful about culture, talking about it, writing it down, measuring it, instead of seeing it as an afterthought is important. But I also extend that to that life work, work life balance as well. That's wonderful. Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs hiring people what might think, oh, well, someone who really just wants to work all the time is really the person that, you know, I want someone who's just really willing to kind of give me everything. But it's interesting that you want people to also have outside interest and to be able to balance their time. So if you had 15 minutes of free time yourself today, what would you do with that time? 15 minutes of free time, I'd go for a walk. I just get up out of the house, go for a walk. I'd probably walk around the commons, which is one of the things that I normally do, and just not look at the phone, not take any calls, just be present, enjoying a walk, try to separate myself and detach from those and from the day because it allows me to come back and reset and have a have a better perspective. You know, you mentioned how culture is such an important piece of your business. Is hiring the right people one of the most important things as an entrepreneur that you can do? What are some of the tricks that you've learned about how do you figure out if someone is going to be the right fit for your company versus not? Yeah. So I would say that for my job as CEO, 80% of the job is getting the right people and getting them in the right seats on the bus. Like 80% of the job is hiring and understanding where people fit in the overall puzzle. I'd say 20% of the job is taking problems that the business wants to have and making them become actual problems. Like thinking up those problems and then actualizing them into stuff that the team is going to solve. I believe that a leader is not a king whose job is supposed to tell us what we're supposed to do. A leader is the head philosopher who reminds us of who we are and why we're here. And so I think that that's been a big part of it. In terms of like how I look for that in interviews and how I think to bring that into the company, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was this interview question, which is, I ask a candidate, what do you like least and most in your parents? And it is a fascinating question and not something that normally gets asked in an interview. You know, your parents have a huge impact on who you become. And most people are either leaning into or leaning away from what their parents were sometimes intentionally or unintentionally. And it's a type of question where the candidate talks a lot about themselves through describing someone else. And it gives you a lot of insights into kind of who they are and how they would fit in the company and what their values are. And so that's one of the ways that I look to kind of screen that as, it, as I meet new candidates in the interview process. Right. That's a great question. I've never heard that before. 
I've never heard anyone ask that. So you kind of talked about one of some of the best pieces of advice you've ever been given. And I know um, as an entrepreneur, you receive advice from people all the time on either sides. Are there any other great pieces of advice you've been given or bad advice that you've been given that you're happy that you did not follow? Yeah, I'll tell you, for me, one of the biggest things that I always had to work on in my career, because I love I love presenting and pitching, was becoming a better listener. And one of the best pieces of advice that I got from someone was, you should be a better listener, because it's hard to kind of go from not being a great listener to becoming a better listener. And one of the pieces of advice I got was, questions are the new answers. And I thought about that a lot. Huh, when I'm talking with my team, rather than trying to give them an answer, what are the really tight, smart probing questions I can ask that will allow them to wrestle their way through to the answer. And so instead of trying to shortcut the dialogue and the discussion, be the person who encourages and ignites that debate, that the catalyst for the discussion. So questions are the new answers. And that was a, that was a great piece of advice. I'd say the worst piece of advice I ever got was I had somebody tell me that uh, when something went wrong, I had to fall on the sword to kind of protect the business or protect uh, protect my boss. And I think that falling on the sword is never really a great answer. It's never something we should ask the people who report to us to do. Uh, and it's never something we should have our business try to do. I mean, maybe there's a time and place for it, but it's not something I would recommend. Uh, I would say that falling on the sword is basically casting the blame on an individual as opposed to working towards a higher solution that balances the relational and the transactional. And so I would say don't fall on the sword unless you've exhausted every other possibility. That sounds like a good idea. I think it's interesting that you are, or you have been working at Cornell doing some teaching, right? And so it would be great to talk a little bit about how what you have learned as a company founder has helped you as you're also teaching. And I'm not, maybe you want to describe a little bit about what you're doing as a professor, what your title is. But how you've used that experience to teach, and then also if that teaching also helps you in any way as a, as a company. Sure. CEO. So it's important to point out that my teaching inspiration comes from my mom, who has been a nurse educator for the past 36 years and is now the, uh, the dean of the nursing school at Rutgers Camden. And she would say that despite all of my accomplishments as an entrepreneur and as a business person, she is most proud of my teaching instincts. I started by teaching at my undergrad alma mater, Lehigh University, to executive MBAs. And the course is called The Anatomy of Entrepreneurship. And it's all about how do you take that leap to go from concept all the way to full-fledged business? At Cornell, I teach in both Johnson as well uh, to graduate students as well as undergrads. Uh, two classes, one is entrepreneurial marketing and strategy, and the other one is the big idea. And that course is all about how do you develop and refine your ideas so you can pick the right one to go and pursue your business. I think my thing that I am most excited about with teaching is taking my business learnings and putting them in an academic context, fundamentals, frameworks. How do you take this experience, this war story, these scars you've accumulated through your entrepreneurial trials and tribulations, and then transform those into a set of guideposts that others can maybe avoid some of those potholes and minefields that you successfully navigated, or in some cases, unsuccessfully navigated. I also love taking those frameworks and discussion topics we have in class and bringing them back to the company. I think that the classroom is almost like a time machine. One day, one week in the classroom can take 
weeks or months of business learnings and help crystallize them in new and interesting ways. I also love the discussion and debate. And for a lot of these students that are joining these classes, they either want to start their own startup or are already in a startup and trying to figure out how to get to the next level. And I had a lot of people that supported me during my entrepreneurial journey. And it feels really good to be investing and contributing to the growth and success of the next generation of Cornell entrepreneurs. Well, it's great that Cornell has people like you to come back and um, work with students because I feel like that's a wonderful opportunity to, for Cornellians to see alumni who've done these amazing things and then to share their wisdom. So I want to transition a bit to just a little bit more about you as a person because I think it's fascinating to figure out like what makes people tick as entrepreneurs because we all are really curious about how that works. So tell us a little bit if you have a personal mission statement that you like have come up with or just, you know, something casual that you think of, this is, you know, who I am. Yeah. I mean, I think my personal mission statement is enthusiasm makes ordinary people extraordinary. My job is to bring excitement and enthusiasm to each of the interactions that I have every single day. Look, everybody is going through things in their life with their friends, with their family, hard times. And I have the ability in my interactions with the people that I talk to, work with, engage with, to make their day a little bit brighter. And I take that responsibility really seriously. And so I want to give them my best. I try to bring a lot of enthusiasm to all the things that I do. Have you been that way since you were a kid? Or is yeah. this just like... <laughs> I always had tons of energy. I think I've learned how to focus it a little bit more in the last several years, but I was, uh, I was always bouncing off the walls as a kid. I just have learned how to focus it. So your mother would have a lot to say about that. Probably. Oh, she sure would. She sure would. <laughs> So what do you do first thing in the morning when you get up? What are some of your habits for the day to, to get started? So first thing I do is I check my phone to look at the Rosie scoreboard. It gets emailed to our team each day. So the start of each day, I know what the score is and, and kind of that gets me focused on what am I going to do today to build this company? That kind of leads into my next question, which are there any, so the Rosie scoreboard is one of them, obviously, but are there any tools that you use, either software or apps or any other physical things, you know, some people still actually use a planner um, or some kind of tools that help you function. What are some of the things that you rely on that you really use? Let's start with the hardware. So first off, you got to have a great backpack. I think anybody who is a, as a founder or in a leadership role is going to be a road warrior. So you got to have a good backpack. I used to use a, a messenger bag, but like backpack is the way to go. Evens the weight on your shoulders. You can have all of your gear in separate pockets. So having a great backpack that you feel good about so that no matter where you are, you've got kind of your mobile office with you, super, super key. I use the uh, a North Face backpack and it's worked great for me. The second one is hydration. You're going to just be going meeting to meeting throughout the day. So you got to have a great hydration, either your water bottle. I have a Yeti mug that I use, carry around with me always, fill it up between meetings. Between my backpack and my water bottle, that gives me all the tools that I need and keeps me refreshed and hydrated throughout the day. In terms of other stuff that I use to keep myself organized, checklists, checklists, checklists. Checklists are used by doctors, by airline pilots for a reason, right? Documentation and checklists saves lives. So having my checklist is really important. And that gives me the permission throughout the day to kind of cross off and see how I'm making progress. And is that like a physical written checklist or do you have something on your phone? So or something sometimes you... it's written, sometimes it's digital. It depends. Like there's nothing better than crossing something off with a pen on a legal pad, but sometimes I just don't have my pad with me. So I'm doing on a, on a digital device. So kind of bouncing between those works best for me. And I'd say the last thing that has really worked well for me and our team is Slack. 
Slack is just our key cross-communication tool for asynchronous communication with the team. Works out really well. So I would say Slack is a big tool for us and it's helped us as we transition to remote work. I agree. We use Slack all the time. So what is one thing that people might not know about you that they would be surprised to find out about you? Hmm. Well, I'd probably say that it's two things. One is I think people think I'm a naturally good public speaker and they're like, oh, you know, Nick can present off the cuff easy. But I think I do a lot of preparation before I speak publicly. I think about the idea. I role play it out. I do both the questions. If I was an investor asking me questions, what questions would I ask? I practice my public speaking, looking in the mirror so I can see my body language, the way that I'm presenting, the way that my face and my intonation work. So I think there's a lot of preparation that goes into great public speaking. And I think that one of the jobs of any startup leader is to mobilize the English language and send it into battle either orally or through writing. And that takes preparation and time. Winston Churchill once said that, you know, if you want me to speak for an hour, I only need five minutes of preparation. But if you want me to speak for five minutes, I need weeks of preparation. And so like that, that I always, always stuck with me. The other thing is I have really, really bad ADD. And it's something that I've been managing through my entire life. But one of the ways that I, I learned as I grew up was that I don't learn the same way that others do. And so I think typically the classroom, it can be a one size fits all format. And one of the things that I've learned as I've struggled to gain mastery over my ADD is to learn how, what my learning style is. For instance, I can't pay attention for more than 45 minutes. So I make sure that my meetings end early, or if I have to do something that's going to take more time, I'll break it over multiple sessions. I'm very visual. So if I'm in a meeting, I want to have a whiteboard or slides or some type of space that I can draw or write things when I'm in the meeting. And also I know that when I do meetings, I like doing it when I can walk around. And, and we talked about that earlier in this podcast. So I find ways to work around my limitations and be able to succeed. So, you know, I think that being able to understand what your strengths and weaknesses are is important. And I figured out ways to take my weaknesses and at least maybe reduce the impact that they have on my ability to succeed. So I was going to ask you about what books you read, because some people aren't reading books all the time, but they're reading magazines or they're reading certain websites or they're reading certain blogs or certain Twitter accounts every day. And that's really how they're ingesting information. If you are going to like do some research or read, what would you, what are you reading right now or what would you be reading? Okay. So best business book, I think is the four disciplines of execution, live it, love it, it is such a strong way of thinking about a goal setting framework, particularly for early stage entrepreneurs, because it's very lightweight to implement. So I'd say the four disciplines of execution has been great. Tribal leadership, other culture books like What You Do Is Who You Are by Ben Horowitz has been great and Delivering Happiness by Tony Shea. Uh, these are all great kind of business startup leadership books. I love Wikipedia. There's just a massive amount of information. And for those that grew up in a time before the internet was a thing, where all knowledge was in libraries and you really couldn't get recent or pop culture knowledge. I mean, Wikipedia continues to just astound me to this day in terms of how much information I can get just from looking up something on Wikipedia. I also love Reddit. You know, Reddit is kind of like the non-edited version of Wikipedia and gives you kind of a good sense of like what is going on and what's trending right now. Um, so all of those together are some things I love. I also love the How I Built This podcast. I assign it as homework in my classes because I think hearing the stories of other founders is both fascinating in terms of the lessons you can learn, but also just like super soothing to know that others have struggled and survived 
And it is incredibly emboldening to hear the stories of these other startup founders and, and how they built their awesome companies. Which kind of leads into the question I had about who, if there are business people that you really admire, like are there one or two business people that you can think of that you just really admire for any reason? Well, not a business person, but someone I've always admired is General George C. Marshall. I think General Marshall is one of the greatest military minds. There was a, when he was serving as a young officer, his commander had to write a report on Marshall's performance. And basically, he wrote something to the effect of, should it be required that Marshall be placed into exalted command, I would gladly serve under him. And I think it just speaks a lot to the character of this person who had such a big impact on the outcome of World War II, and then also the, the reconstruction of Europe after that. And so Marshall was just a brilliant administrator. He was humble. He helped get the best out of people and did an incredible service to our country. So I'd say Marshall stands out as one of my most admired leaders. I'd say on the business side, my first boss, George Cladaris, he was a great mentor. I can't think of a better boss to teach me the ins and outs of how to build a company. George came to me in a, in a critical part of my career. It was my first job out of college. And he was a successful entrepreneur. He had, at 36, sold his first company to the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, he was an early pioneer in financial services. But when I went to work for George, he allowed me to make many, many mistakes. He gave me his Rolodex. He allowed me to call all of his contacts, to, to learn how to sell, to learn how to build. And when I made mistakes, when I failed, which, which happened often, George never got mad at me. He never got upset. He dusted me off and he sent me back in to the field. And as a result, I gained so many lessons and learned from that experience. And I'm just really grateful to be able to see the process of how, how a founder builds a business. So you know, George is a business leader that I admire. That's great. Have you found yourself following some of the same, using some of the same tools or methods that he used with you, with your employees as well? Yeah, absolutely. Especially during the early days of growing the business. I think it's really interesting too, that you don't have to be as an entrepreneur, your model role models don't all have to be other entrepreneurs, but you know, you can take lessons from military leaders or whoever, other people who have skills and, and qualities that you really want to um, use in your own business. So that's really, that's great advice. So talk about what you would consider is your greatest success so far. And then it would be great to talk a little bit about what's next for you, for the company, for where you see yourself in a little bit of time. Yeah. So one of my greatest successes was helping one of our treasured team members get their H-1B visa. This is someone who joined our company, has made such amazing contributions and to be able as a, as a small business to help them get that. And they have just continued to do such an incredible job at the company. And I'm so proud that we were able to make that happen. I'd say our commitment to accessibility in our product. Uh, Rosie right now is the leader in accessibility for the visually disabled or impaired for online shopping. We rate higher than I think eight of our competitors. And we have always understood and been blown away by the impact that our software can have on improving quality of, of life. I think most people see online grocery shopping and they're like, well, that's a convenience. It's going to save me time, or maybe it's going to save me money. But for our shoppers who are visually or physically impaired, online grocery shopping allows them to have independence in a way that the traditional retail store format doesn't allow. So I'm really, really proud of the leadership position we've taken on that. And then I'd say just everything that we did over the last year through 
the COVID-19 pandemic. Rosie went from being a tech company, a startup, to being an essential business that was providing a really valuable service to communities, local communities throughout the U.S. We were enhancing health and safety, not only for our shoppers, but also for the employees of these retail locations by giving shoppers an option if they were, if they were exposed to COVID or if they were concerned about being exposed to COVID, it gave them a way to be able to get fresh foods into their home. And so we really treasured the work that we did last year and that we continue to do to support these local retailers and their communities across the US. So do you wanna talk a bit about what you think might be next for you or for the company? Yeah. That's a hard question, I know, but. Yeah, so I guess like professionally at Rosie, we're gonna to continue to grow and scale. We've got a huge, mission. It's audacious. As I mentioned earlier, we're going out there to change the world. And this new financing that we secured earlier this year gives us the, the bullets, beans, and bandages to win the war. We're going to go out there and really get this done, which means bringing on more retailer partners, bringing on more brands to help us grow our program. And, and we're super excited to see the company get to the next level. And so I think our impact is just going to only increase. So I'd say that's the immediate future on the professional side. On the personal side, you know, I, I cannot wait for the summer. Uh, there's so many wonderful things to do in the Ithaca area. If you haven't been back to Cornell anytime soon, I encourage all of you to come visit. The campus is beautiful. There's so much interesting construction and things that are going on as the campus and the area around campus gets renewed. Uh, I'm going to definitely swing by Seneca Lake, check out some of the wineries. So I'm excited to do all of my favorite hikes that I got to do during the wintertime, now in the summer and the spring as I see everything come into bloom. So uh, that's kind of what's up next. In the long term, I want to continue to teach make an impact and help this next generation of Cornell entrepreneurs and Lehigh entrepreneurs achieve their, their entrepreneurial ambitions. And that doesn't just mean founding companies. I think there's a lot of individuals who are going to be entrepreneurs. They're going to work inside large businesses and bring the entrepreneurial mentality, the willingness to adapt, the willingness to be agile, to be customer focused. Uh, there's such a need for that. And so I'm so glad that over the past several years, we've been placing a greater emphasis on that in the classroom so that even the individuals that are going into product management roles or consulting or even investment banking can bring an entrepreneurial mindset to their organizations. And so I think Cornell continues to lead the way in this area, supported by this amazing startup ecosystem around Ithaca that I'm very delighted to be a part of. That's awesome. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you know that you'd like to Chat, the chat about that's important to either you or your company. Um, we went through all the, the main questions that I had, but I would be happy to chat about some of the things if there's anything that we didn't talk about. No, I think we covered it. This was a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Thank you so much for being part of it. It was really fun to have you here and um, listen to all your great energy and enthusiasm and uh, hear about the next steps for you and your company. You got it, Kathy. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was great to speak with you. Yeah, thanks so much, Nick. That's awesome. Startup Cornell, a podcast exploring the bold entrepreneurial ideas coming from our students, faculty, staff, and young alumni. I'm Kathy Havis, your host. To find out more about entrepreneurship at Cornell and see the show notes from this episode, visit eship.cornell.edu.